0: Hi there, this is Kim Nicolaitis with Advent Christian Voices here on the 18th of June. Uh, broadcasting live at this time from Waikiki and taking us through our little journey in the uh, Gospel of Luke. We're back to Luke. we finished the first chapter. We're actually up to chapter 2, verses 8, and I'm going to be talking about uh, the wonderful appearance which we all sing about on Christmas, of the uh, the angels, the angelic hosts, when they showed up uh, suddenly and surprisingly to a bunch of shepherds uh, on the hills close to Jerusalem, probably guarding sheep that were being prepared for sacrifice there. Um, but Luke is the only person actually who talks about this... Uh, appearance uh, the night before Jesus was born. But let me just read to you from uh, the English standard version before I jump into this. And it's uh, okay. Starting from verse eight and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you. Is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. And when the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds So this account, it would seem to me, is a foreshadowing of what we may expect to see at the second advent of Jesus when he returns to establish his kingdom here on earth. Only on that occasion, we don't expect the angels to be bearers of good news so much as they will be involved in the task of rounding up the people for judgment. And that consideration brings my attention to the reaction which these shepherds had expressed When the angelic host first appeared to them because that reaction is probably very close to what we can expect to see when these powerful angels come back with jesus for his next appearance and it was one of fear in fact the text uses a relatively unusual phrase to describe uh, the fear they had it literally says they became fearful with a great fear and the greek word for fear here uh, that's used is uh, the common word phobia. We you know we use it for claustrophobia, acrophobia, a number of different phobias, and the word phobia itself. And it's actually used twice here. It's used once in its noun form, and then once again as a verb. And then Luke attaches this adjectival modifier uh, mega to the noun. So he what he's describing is what we would literally call a mega fear. And that's that is suddenly awakened in these shepherds. And That phrase in the Bible, by the way, is only used precisely in this matter on only two to other occasions. Uh, the first time it's used was when Jonah was thrown into the sea by the sailors with whom he had been sailing aboard the ship uh, that was bound for Tarshish in his attempts to flee from the Lord. And the reason for their fear, the sailors' fear at that time, was because What Jonah said to them about his God being the God of the heavens and the earth and the seas. And in addition to that, most emphatically, their observation of the immediate and complete pacification uh, of the seas that had been up until that time uh, foaming and raging uh, before they threw Jonah overboard furiously. The seas had been previously raging all about them. That's why they threw Jonah overboard. They also feared with a great as it says there in the Septuagint the Greek version with a mega fear. interestingly uh, this expression was also used to describe the apostles reaction to the occasion when jesus calmed the storm when uh, they were also calling, sailing on the sea of galilee at that time and and the storm started to rage and they were sinking and they woke jesus up and he said you no know, peace be still Ask them later why. You know why are you so fearful? <clears throat> and there are a couple other times actually when the expression "great fear" is used, but it's never used quite in that precisely that manner where they have sort of two uh, uh, words for phobeo and and also mega together. So I I think that might warrant uh, asking ourselves the question. You know what is it that's behind this fear? What is it that really accounts for it? Because In each case, we see the circumstances attributed to it are somewhat counterintuitive. And what I mean is that in the shepherds' case, while they were in the dark, there was no fear being expressed, even though they were out in the open, exposed, and they were, relatively speaking, pretty much at ease until the angels came. And one could attribute that to their becoming familiar with those conditions. Although, you know, when I was a youngster, Young boy, the idea of being out in the dark by itself was a bit scary. Uh, You know, I've for the most part overcome that fear, but uh, in this case, they were in the dark and they were relatively speaking fairly comfortable until and when they come into the light. And then suddenly they're seized with this mega fear. And also, in the case of the apostles with Jesus or the sailors that were with Jonah, initially they actually were in a situation that normally would, you know, give rise to fear, that is when their ship is being swamped and the sea is raging about them. So they would have been considered normal or correct to be fearing for their lives. The thing is, as soon as everything suddenly becomes calm, at peace, the waves are stilled. Not until then are they described as being gripped with this mega fear. So that's why I say at first glance, it seems to be a bit counterintuitive. Well, I think we can actually all identify with this because the source of this fear is something that is or should be common to all humanity as it was expressed for us uh, for the very first time by our father Adam in the Garden of Eden after he had sinned, after he had fallen from grace. The very first thing that he and Eve had attempted to do was to hide from the light. It was the light that was exposing them. And they were trying to hide from it, and especially when God appeared in the, the garden searching for them. He wasn't really searching for them because he, because he didn't know where they were. He was searching for them because Adam was intentionally hiding from him. And as he said, when asked by God for the reason why he was hiding was because he was naked. In other words, he was ashamed of himself, which he would have no reason or need of being unless he was aware of his guiltiness before God. And that's why whenever we are confronted with a manifestation of the divine, it inspires fear in us, makes us more acutely aware of our sin. And with that awareness, a realization of what that sin demands or calls for, which is really nothing less than its complete extirpation, its annihilation, which would not be good for us. So, for instance, when... uh, we shall see uh, in a few chapters, chapter 5 and Luke, uh, where Peter has this encounter with Jesus after fishing all night without catching anything. And Jesus tells him, you know, to put out in the deep and, and to let down his net. And Jesus, Peter does this only to discover that his boat now becomes unable to contain the tremendous catch of fish he's attempting to reel in. So how does Peter respond? Well, he falls down. On his feet before Jesus and he. and he says depart from me Lord for I am a sinful man and Jesus says what he says do not fear follow me and I will make you a fisher of men so Peter's apprehension of Jesus initially stemmed in large measure from a sudden awareness of his Jesus holiness And just being in proximity to someone you perceive as being so absolutely holy cannot help but create an intense degree of discomfort with anyone that has any realistic awareness of their own sinfulness. All of us, if we're normal, if we're in touch with reality, we have this underlying fear of exposure because we know that we are guilty of offending our Creator, for one. And that fear can be expressed in many ways, although. We tend to cover up. We tend to suppress it as much as it's possible because, for one, it's not that comfortable to be living with. And the way we typically do that is by pushing any thoughts of God out of our minds. When we do that, by the way, we're just compounding our guilt. But it's our nature to do that. You know, I belong to this singing group here called the Voices of Aloha, and we were celebrating the end of our spring season and giving a little banquet, and I was invited to sing a solo to help with the entertainment. I actually had a hard time coming up with a song because the one requirement was that I couldn't sing anything that was religious, because they know that would be what I would typically choose. Those are the only actual kinds of music that I ever sing. So why do you suppose I was constricted by that requirement? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that people don't like to be reminded about the presence of God with them because it makes them uncomfortable for the most part. But in my case, it doesn't matter because whether I sing a secular song, I'm always going to say, hey, praise the Lord. (laughs) Because it's a habit I have. have I suppose that annoys people. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, the Bible talks about this in Romans 1, where it says that men are without excuse before God because God has already made his invisible presence and his power and his divinity clear to them through the material things that he has made that are visible. Anyone who is willing to look at the evidence of nature all around them with an unbiased eye will immediately come to the conclusion that. And if they say otherwise, they're simply lying. That doesn't mean or say that there aren't many such people who lie the world is just means that most people apparently are more comfortable lying than they are dealing with the truth about god because of the great fear that the acknowledgement of such truth will inspire in them hence we have the misnomer atheist which i suppose identifies such a person who has no belief god but in actuality if you believe the bible there's no such atheist as people claim to be atheists are themselves just um by default, liars, according to the Bible. They're just covering up and suppressing the truth, which they really know to be true because it's just too uncomfortable for them to acknowledge that truth. But we really are all guilty to some extent of this treacherous behavior of covering up our knowledge of the truth because we can identify with that fear, which the shepherds were expressing here in this account when the light of God's divine presence is shown all around them. So what is the antidote? What does the angel say here? Do not fear, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. In other words, if we're willing to just behold, or to look at this good news, that's the same word, by the way, for gospel, uh, which will be for everyone, then he explains what he means by that, For For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. same words, by the way, were foretold in Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 9, 6, where he says, For unto us a son is born, a child is given. In that case, it goes on to say that a government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever here the angels just sum up it all by saying for unto you this day in david <clears throat> the city of david rather is born a savior who is christ the lord but the word translated here in the greek for lord is kurios and that's the same word which the septuagint that is the greek version of the old testament is is used whenever the bible Uh, The Hebrew Yahweh is to be translated. So all we have to do here in order to get rid of our fear, according to the angel, is to look to Jesus, to recognize him as he truly is. That is, as Lord over all creation, as well as the Savior of all who recognize him as such. In other words, he saves us from that fear, as well as the reason for having it in the first place. And he does that by paying the penalty which such fear-inspiring sins impose upon us and for which our consciences, consciences convict us of. So if you have any sense of that conviction today, that's not a bad thing because that simply means that God has awakened in you an awareness of your true condition before him apart from that solution. Now, you if you have any sense of trepidation or conviction in your heart, that's really just evidence of the Holy Spirit. And that he's waking up in you the reality of this need we all have. Now, all you have to do is apply the antidote, this solution that the angel very strongly recommends. Simply behold him as your savior and Lord. And you will have absolutely no further re- reason for fear or guilt. as he has, he has already taken upon himself the guilt and the punishment associated with it in your place. He who knew no sin has become sin for us, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. That's good news. The debt has been paid for you in full. Now, there are many ways in which the world will try to tell us we can hide it or cover up the fear we have. So we don't have to do this. It may say, for instance, we can hide it in our careers, hence we become workaholics and identify ourselves with our jobs or our work or our achievements in life. And so we hide ourselves behind an impressive resume or a long list of things we might think we want to take credit for. And so we think we can bury the true knowledge we have of this fear of failure really deep down in our hearts until it doesn't bother us anymore. But to do that keeps us pretty busy because whenever we make an honest assessment, of when, whether or not we have really done the best we think we can do, there are always very serious doubts and those doubts frighten us. Another way we tend to suppress or hide our deepest and innermost fears is by seeking the approval of men. We may be seeking that approval through our preoccupation with our careers, as we just mentioned, or we may seek it in other ways, depending on who we are. We may think we can do it through our looks or through our power or influence or through our ability to accumulate things or material wealth and possessions or through our accumulation of knowledge or education, which, by the way, We should by now hopefully all know that we will one day have to give up those things. But we can amazingly put these thoughts out of our mind until they are forced upon us by circumstances beyond our control. We do that by identifying ourselves with whatever we find to be the most attractive thing to us. and Put away any negative or depressing thoughts as far from us as we can manage. The problem is whenever we do that, we are not being entirely honest with ourselves we are not truly facing the facts of what is really necessary to deal with the deceitfully wicked nature of our hearts the facts that we the fact that we that everything we do is in one way or another polluted by impure or selfish motives no matter how hard we may ever try we can never overcome our own sinful nature and that frightens us and the angel says do not fear for behold, I have good news for you. There is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So you no longer need to worry about clearing up your guilty conscience and trying to climb out from under that mountain of debt you have accumulated in the way of your sins before a holy and righteous God. Jesus has taken care of that debt for you. It's been paid in full. Rejoice. Rejoice, as the Bible says, oh, you humble in heart. There is now no reason for you to stay hidden in the dark. You have been set free to come out into his marvelous light so that you can proclaim his mighty deeds. So that's the first point we see expressed, I believe, in this text today. The second point I see here is found in verse 14, actually, where the whole multitude of angels say, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men upon whom his favor rests. Now, this is a different translation than what you may have heard if you're used to using the King James Version, which simply has the angelic host proclaiming glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That distinction stems from the way the word, I believe it's Utopia, just one letter in that word on the end of it, sigma in the Greek and s actually, changes its meaning. That's because they found a little older since the King James was published manuscript that has that S on that word, and uh, goodwill is actually found there in the gen- what we call a genitive case in this context, and it's normally translated as what we know of as an attributive genitive, meaning that it qualifies the preceding word, which happens to be a dative, which now becomes the object, the preceding substantive, Which in this case is peace. So the correct translation would be peace toward men upon whom his favor rests. That's a very significant difference, and it really helps us to understand what's being promised here. This is also corroborated, by the way, by numerous other texts in the Bible, such as the time in which Jesus said to his disciples, Do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I'm not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, daughter against his her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person, person's enemies will be those in his old in his own household. That's a quote, by the way, from Obadiah. Not Obadiah, but uh, what is it? It's a quote from. An Old Testament, one of the minor prophets, Nehemiah. Yeah, it's a it's a quote actually from Nahum, yeah, chapter three, I believe it is. Okay, so in any case, that's a far cry from bringing peace on earth. And this is actually one of the reasons why I have heard that some Jews have not been willing to accept Jesus as their Messiah because of their understanding that the, once the Messiah comes, he will establish peace on earth. But if this is indeed the promise that Luke was quoting through the angelic host, then I think it's fair to say that Jesus has not fulfilled that promise. On the other hand, if we understand this text to mean peace on earth with those upon whom his favor rests, I think we will be in good good company of those who have actually a correct understanding, at least of an accurate translation of this passage. So the next question is, What, then, does the angel mean when he refers to this peace that is to be bestowed upon those so favored by the Lord? If it's not the peace which we think of in terms of relations between nations or other different groups of people with whom we share this planet, and it does not mean to be some kind of peace which all of mankind is meant to enjoy, then what is it? Is it some kind of subjective internal peace we experience through a sense of being at one with nature or some kind of psychological peace that enables us to sleep at night, at least for those who are on good terms with the Lord? Well, actually not really, although that may in fact usually be a consequence to some degree of the peace being referred to here. What the angel is talking about is an objective peace. It's an end to hostilities. It's a consequence of the fact that of being reconciled between two parties that were previously at war with each other. It's the peace that comes from having the scores already settled and being willing to lay down your arms. So Jesus said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. So it is essentially an end to the warfare that existed between each and every descendant of Adam and their creator, God Almighty, and all the hostility that existed between him and them. Since we're no longer under the righteous wrath of God, it means we're no longer under his just condemnation. We have peace with God for for all who are in christ jesus it's the only way to live believe me since jesus was willing to go to the cross since he was willing to lay down his life there now all god asks of us is that we be willing to lay down our resistance to him and surrender to his just authority over us as our god and creator and he will consider that what christ has done as sufficient payment for past misdeeds and they will be forgiven on the simple basis of faith so this is the real, tangible, objective peace that the angel is offering in terms of which, the terms rather, cannot be altered. So the benefits of which, however, are the only rational choice. We just watched a dictator in North Korea express his desire to lay down his arms, to in effect, put aside and destroy his nuclear arsenal. We certainly hope and pray that he will indeed follow up on that commitment to do so. But the benefits for him to do so are the only rational choice he really has when considered in view of the alternative, which would simply be to be completely wiped off the face of the planet. This is something incredibly that the liberal commentators just don't get. When they saw the way in which Trump expressed his intentions toward North Korea, they all hooted and hollered and criticized him for bringing us to the brink of nuclear confrontation, when in fact, all he was doing was expressing in very clear terms. What would be the outcome of such a confrontation should Korea ever attempt to make good on their threats against us? It was necessary to do that in order to get Kim Jong-un to open his eyes and see that reality for what it was and to understand that this was exactly what we would do. He had no absolutely no choice but to come to the table. Non-Christians are just like liberal Democrats in this regard who think that God is just a great appeaser. He would never dare to use his might actually wipe us out. So when Kim Jong-un saw that Trump, unlike predecessors, I won't name them, in the Oval Office, would in fact actually do what he said he would do, he had no choice. He had to come to the table. It was never really Trump, but the appeasers, who in fact had brought us to the brink of nuclear holocaust to begin with. And they still don't get it. It's the same way with non believers. Those who are unwilling to accept God's terms of peace, they just don't see it. But they're on the brink of an eternal Holocaust for themselves and for all who are deceived into thinking, as they do, that God is being just an appeaser who couldn't really mean what he says in his word. So unless they turn from their folly before it's too late, they'll find that he keeps his word. But by that time, it will be too late for them. They'll be wiped out. The peace of the angel offers is only for those upon whom the favor of God rests. The favor of God rests only upon those whose sins have been forgiven. Sins can be forgiven only for those who have faith in Christ. There is salvation in no other name under heaven. There is no there is true life in no other name under heaven. So I certainly don't have time today to go into all or even a small percentage of all the benefits that would accrue to those willing to make peace with God on the terms he's established for us under the rule and dominion of his son, Jesus Christ. But to use the illustration I have been using here of North Korea, the most urgent reason remains the need to simply survive. But the other benefits include all the prosperity and the blessings that comes from being a member of the community of nations of good standing. One cannot express those benefits adequately to someone who's never tasted the good things God has in store for those who trust in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible love and patience demonstrated to us in the wonderful sacrifice of your son, Jesus, on the cross for our sins. Help us to live in the light of that love, I pray. That light would pierce the darkness yet remaining in the hearts of any who hear this broadcast. And who still need to respond to that love by yielding their hearts and saying yes to Jesus, Amen. Well, thank you for uh, being with us, and uh, let let me know if you have any comments, questions, or concerns um, about the Bible or anything I may be saying about it. And um, and I hope you will join us next time. And we'll be continuing our study of the gospel of so this is Kid Nicolaitis signing off for Advent Christian Voices from here in Wiking like-